What are your favorite movies? My favorite movies, a great question. I've organized some categories. You could go on making categories as long as your supply of popcorn held out. One, all-time great classics I've seen many times and would see again, and most anyone would like. Fantasia, 1939. Disney's innovative cartoon classic where Mickey Mouse meets the Philadelphia Philharmonic. It was one of the first movies in color and one of the first to be recorded in stereo. It's hard to imagine greater heights in the cartoonist art than the night on Bald Mountain sequence, the Bach, Toccata, and Fugue in abstract paint designs, or the thigh-slapping dance of the hours portrayed as a love-and-death ballet between male crocodiles and female dancing hippos. Casablanca, 1942, stars Bogart and Bergman at their greatest. Wonderful snappy dialogue and many subplots moving quickly on many levels. There are strongly sketched characters, every conceivable plot device and narrative trick layered over with a wry or sardonic sense of humor as the world is coming apart and two lovers rediscover their lost romance at the wrong time. Sidney Greenstreet, the corrupt owner of the Blue Parrot nightclub, says, So why did you come to Casablanca, Rick? Humphrey Bogart as dis disillusioned American emigre Rick Blaine with an undefined but shady past that he has fled. I came for the waters, Sidney Greenstreet. But Casablanca is a desert. There are no waters, Humphrey Bogart. I was misinformed. The answer that says nothing and everything, both at the same time. Eventually, Bogart retains his idea, regains his idealism in the fight against the Nazis and recovers Bergman's love in an astonishing act of last-minute self-sacrifice, he returns her to her resistance hero husband, Paul Henreid, and heads off into the fog to fight the Nazis beside Claude Rains, the former corrupt police chief in Casablanca. <clears throat> the movie also features Peter Laurie as the weird guy with the stolen letters of transit that get the whole plot moving, and Conrad Veidt, who made a career playing Nazis as Major Strasser, the Nazi commandant you love to hate. Stellar film noir cinematography and a great score by Max Steiner. Sunset Boulevard, greatest 1950, greatest film noir ever, directed by Billy Wilder, starring Gloria Swanson and William Holden. She is Norma Desmond, the has-been former silent movie star trying for one big comeback, and he is the young stud down on his luck screenwriter she takes in. He's killed at the beginning of the movie, so the story is actually narrated by a corpse. Swanson puts Holden up in her mansion, where he becomes part of the furniture, and where he, uh, we meet her creepy old friends, including her ex-husband chauffeur, Eric von Stroheim. As the chance for a comeback looms, and Mona Desmond imagines she may star in the next Cecil B. DeMille blockbuster. Of course, the comeback is only imaginary, and William Holden is carrying on with young Betty, another screenwriter. Nora finds out about the affair. He announces he's going back to Ohio, tells her the comeback is a fraud, and the fan mail she's been getting really comes from her former husband. As he walks out of the house, she shoots him three times. Next thing we know, the house is full of reporters, and she is coaxed downstairs to the awaiting police by convincing her that she's about to appear in a new movie. Her ex-husband, Max, sets the scene, calls her downstairs, and she descends in her ghastly, illusory magnificence, saying, all right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. High Noon, 1952, stars Gary Cooper as Marshall Will Kane and Grace Kelly, his wife Amy. 
He plays the town marshal who faces a deadline and that the bad guys led by Frank Miller are coming back on the noon train to take revenge for Cooper's putting Frank Miller in jail. Cooper goes around town looking for deputies. and One by one, all the possible helpers bow out with flimsy excuses. Cooper's wife, Amy, is a Quaker. She wants him to leave town and gives him the ultimatum that if he doesn't bail, she will leave on the same train that is bringing Frank Miller. Not only do the townspeople fear to help Kane, they grow hostile for his doing things to give the town a bad name. Some want a corrupt favor. Some will only help if they're not the only one. There's a gunfight in the town after Frank Miller and his boys arrive. One by one, Cooper picks them off, but he remains outnumbered. At the last moment, Grace Kelly drops her pacifism, picks up a gun, and shoots one of the gang, leaving the last of them still alive. Miller grabs Grace Kelly as a hostage, but she struggles, leaving Kane a clear shot, and he kills Miller. Kane is suddenly surrounded by the townspeople, who minutes before wouldn't help him. He has nothing but contempt for them, throws his star in the dirt, and leaves town with Grace Kelly on his arm. Most remarkable is how the movie takes place in real time. You are constantly watching the clock as time ticks down and the martial situation grows more dire. The cast includes many old favorites, such as Thomas Mitchell, Lloyd Bridges, Katie Girado, Lon Chaney Jr., and Henry Morgan. There's a great score by Dimitri Chomkin. It is interesting that the film found both admirers and critics on both sides of the political spectrum. Also, it's of interest that John Wayne, Gregory Peck, Marlon Brando, Montgomery Clift, and Charlton Heston all turned down the role of Will Kane, one of the great roles in Hollywood history. Two, great movie ideas that have been remade and remade again. My choice for this is The Hound of the Baskervilles, based on the great Conan Doyle novella of that name, starring Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson, a gigantic hound of the remote stretches of Dartmoor in southwest England. This story has everything. The star detective and his sidekick, the remote and scary location that is full of traps and quicksand to swallow up the unwary, murder, secret signals in the night, long-term class struggle between the aristocratic Baskervilles and their servants, a horrible ancient crime, a curse on the family, a hereditary birth defect that goes with the curse, a subplot about a criminal escaped from a nearby Darkmoor prison. A creepy hound noises over the moor, scary ruins, scary servants with suspicious glances and devious plans. An innocent American heir who has come to claim his inheritance while unknowingly being drawn into the nexus of fear and revenge. I don't know just how many remakes there have been of this story, but the classic versions are the one with Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce and the one starring Peter Cushing, which is in color and is more blood-curdling and faster-paced than the Rathbone Bruce version. Three, great musicals. The choice is easy. Anything where Gene Kelly is dancing and anything where Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers are dancing, I've said. Four, three hanky masterpieces. No doubt about it. Sleepless in Seattle, 1993, or against... All odds, Jonah, age eight, fixes up his widowed father, Tom Hanks, with the right single woman mom, Meg Ryan. Five, offbeat stories that stick with you. Night on Earth, 1991, directed by Jim Jarmusch, features five seemingly unconnected vignettes that take place in taxis all around the Earth on one particular night. The first taxi is in Los Angeles with Renona Ryder, playing the driver, who picks up Gina Rollins, a Hollywood executive who's doing business on her phone. 
Gina decides that Winona might make a good choice for a part in a movie she's making, but Winona declines, saying that she wants to become a mechanic. Other scenes that take place in New York, Paris, Rome, and Helsinki. The stories are not connected by plot, but rather by the quirky and amusing lens of the director. The Lives of Others, 2006, set in the days of communist East German intrigue within the Stasi. Just a taste of the awfulness of the communist state, which can never be fully encompassed or described in any movie or book. The movie may provide the impetus to dig deeper into the topic on one's own. Lock, 2013, a movie with only one on-screen actor who conducts the entire story on the phone in his car at night while driving from Birmingham to London, England. He juggles four different events in his life at the same time. First, he's an engineer in charge of a gigantic concrete pour that must take place in the morning at a construction site in London at a certain time. He can't be there, and he has to instruct an assistant on how to make it work. Despite incredible odds, this succeeds. But at the same time, his girlfriend is delivering a baby, and his marriage is falling apart. There are several other plots going as well. By morning, the foundation is poured, the baby is born, and the marriage has been broken apart. Six. Best Hitchcock movie. This is a tie between The Birds, 1963, and Frenzy, 1972. The Birds is very loosely drawn on a story by Daphne du Maurier. It's set in Bodega Bay, California, a real place. It seems to start when a visitor, Tippi Hedren, is inexplicably attacked and blooded by a seagull. From then, the attacks continue widening until any doubters are overwhelmed and forced to recognize the menace of these birds. It's an unconnected series of escalating attacks on people, especially the innocent. Especially creepy is the fact that the birds have no apparent motivation. <clears throat> Frenzy features a favorite situation of Hitchcock's, the innocent guy who is somehow caught up and convicted of a crime he did not commit. Meanwhile, the bad guy, who is obviously creepy, is going around murdering women. Even if you didn't have the moviegoer's inside knowledge that he's the killer, you'd suspect him. But the hapless denizens of Hitchcock's London don't have a clue. It starts with a bang as a group of tourists at the Thames River embankment being given a guided tour uh, look out and see a corpse floating up the shore. Very skillful use of humorous elements compounded with horror. Movie so scarily you scary you have to lock the doors and windows, inspect your closets, look under the bed, and leave the hall light on every night for a week. Halloween, 1978. The rough, crude quality of the camera work is masterful in its effect. The original is scary enough. No need to keep going to the sequels. Night of the Living Dead, 1968. Another one that through crude cinematography and poor lighting does its worst. Eight. Most overrated movies. This category likely contains far more movies than the number of greats listed above. Last Year at Marienbad, 1961. A completely confused plot, structure, characterizations, and you have no idea what's going on. Pauline called it the snow job at the Ice Palace. But it's still highly regarded in some film circles. The director, Resnay, justified it by calling it an attempt, still very crude and primitive, to approach the complexity of thought, of its processes. But it's a terrible movie. Prospero's Books, 1991, an attempt at a remake of Shakespeare's The Tempest, which, as all of us know, was woefully incomplete, trite, and unsatisfying as a play. 
Instead, we impose an utterly tedious and pretentious series of vignettes of people wandering around with no clothes on, going nowhere, and urinating now and then. But it has extravagant, colorful sets and costumes. Arg. Citizen Kane, 1941. This is often rated at the very top of greatest movies of all time lists. Although it pioneered a whole range of technical and cinematic novelty and special effects, it had nothing useful to say except to show the many very bad effects of the life of a very, very bad man on everyone around him. If you take a whole course on the innovations that Wells brought to in the industry with this film, but there is no tune to whistle, no fond memory, and nothing but nihilism in the film. <laughs> 